Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. I'll wait for you guys. You can give me the cue if... Seventeen oh seven. All right, yeah. Samuel and Susanna Wesley. They had nineteen kids. Many of them would die in infancy. Uh, one of them lived. A couple of them lived to adulthood. And and Charles Charles Wesley was was one of them. Uh, he would grow up, and along with his brother. And a good friend named George Whitefield at Oxford University, they would go on to, to be the instigators of an evangelical revival, first within the Church of England, and then later broadly around the world. Uh, you might know John Wesley a little bit, a little bit more famously. John Wesley is uh, the founder of uh, what we call like the Methodist Church. Um, but his brother, Charles, Charles... He was a minister, but he was also a prolific hymn writer. And he wrote around 6,500 hymns. 6,500 hymns. And, and oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, hark the herald angels sing, and can it be Christ the Lord is risen today, and of course 6,500 some other hymns as well. Um, we have a good number of, of his hymns in our hymnal. And uh, he, just, he just wrote a lot of songs. In the mid, mid-1700s, uh, as, as, a, as a grown-up now, Charles, he was deeply considering his historical context. His, his world was filled with plight. Um, there was a lot going on. It, the, the stories in his world, there was a lot of hunger. There was, there was poverty. There was... Just a ton of orphans running around. Classism was huge in his day and age. You know, we, we can identify with this. We live in a, live in a very uh, polarized political landscape. But for him, it was class. Like, the poor were super poor. The rich were super rich. And they, it was polarized. And so it, it, there, was, there was a tension there with that classism. And, of course, slavery was also an institution. And, and it can be uh, dep- it can be depressing as we reflect on all these stories that, that we hear. We, we turn on the news, of course, and and uh, sometimes it's just it's so hard to watch the local news. Uh, it's just bad story after bad story after bad story. There's brokenness. There's there's violence. There's abuse and overdose, and it, it's just deeply upsetting and heartbreaking to take in all of these. Stories, and I know I have felt the effects of of these depressing stories, these hard stories. This this world is weary, and people ask, "Is there any hope?" And as Christians, we get to say adamantly, we get to say, "Yes, there is hope. There is hope." All right, I'm going to try this. Thank you. One author describes hope like this. Imagine a northern cardinal on a cold day. Super cold day. But the cardinal is out there and is just singing its little heart out. 
The cardinal is singing. Hope is like a little bird in your soul that keeps on singing. The storm clouds might be there. Your head might not be all together. Circumstances, bad day at work, etc., etc. But there's this little birdie of hope that is singing. Now, hope in the Christian sense is not the same as optimism. There we go. Hope is not the same as optimism. Optimism is this tendency to expect a favorable outcome. You are just anticipating that things will work out. And generally speaking, we like to be around optimistic people. But the thing is, there, there is a limit to optimism. Because in excess, optimism, if, 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 if we go too far down that path, optimism can kind of lead to this lazy boy optimism where it's, it's kind of like we just, we lean back, we put our feet up, and we just expect that everything, absolutely everything, is going to work out. Christian hope is different. Christian hope is not the same as optimism. To, to borrow from author David Orr, he says, hope is a verb with its sleeves rolled up. Hopeful people are faithful people who continue on despite the odds. You know, the, the, the deck is stacked against them. But people of hope, they, they press on anyways. They, they listen to that little birdie keep singing. It's like, okay, that tune, that hopeful tune, that's what they're listening to. And some like to say, oh, the world's just going to hell. What can you do about it? But hopeful people, they press on. Hope inspires action. It gives you permission to act. So in the Old Testament, the essence of, of hope is this idea that, that there is a future good that God will provide. And it might be in land, in children, fruitfulness of the land and children, etc., deliverance, things like that. It is a hope that is rooted in the living God. That the one who created all things, the one who created yesterday, the one who sustains today, is the same living God who will hold tomorrow. God will provide and keep tomorrow, the future. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 11.7 teaches that a godless hope is a, is a dead hope. That if your hope is not in God, then your hope dies with you. It goes right into the coffin. Godless hope is dead hope. But we can have a living hope in a faithful, promise-keeping, loving God. In the New Testament, jumping to the New Testament, New Testament hope is also grounded in God. It's rooted in God. Salvation, redemption, regeneration, living in the kingdom of God, eternal life. We need God for all of those things. But specifically in the New Testament, it, it, it zooms in. It is all about Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. We need Jesus. And so Salvation, having having low, having hope and forgiveness of, of sins. It doesn't come from our works. It doesn't come from our parents. It doesn't come from our offering or church membership. It is all about Jesus. By grace, we are saved through faith, not by works. Salvation is a gift of God. 
And hope also gives us a future. Our hope in Christ gives us a future. We are dead in our sins. Jesus meets us where we're at. We're dead in our sins. But Jesus makes us alive and he makes us eternally alive. And someday as we look forward with hope, we know that Jesus will make all things new. Revelation 21, 5. Someday we will see Jesus face to face. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. We know only in part, but someday we will fully know the endless love of Jesus. We will know life as, as God intended it to be. Now, as we look forward and, and we, we cast our eyes on Jesus and, and, and we have this hope, our hope in Christ is not a disappointing fantasy. And again, it's not the same thing as optimism. It's not a wish for the best like go get him tiger kind of kind of thing. That's that is not Christian hope. Our hope in Jesus, our hope that we have in him in the future, it can backfill and flood our day today, our everyday lives. Now, somebody this week may try to rip you off, scam you, swindle you, try to fool you, but please know Jesus will not shortchange you. He loves you. Like he he loves you. He is he is carrying you. He's not going to miscarry you. He loves you. Jesus will not let you down. Romans 5 5 says this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into our lives. What if we could just live free in this outpouring of love every day? Like, what if we actually believed that, that every moment of every day, that Jesus will, will never fail to satisfy our deepest needs? That we can actually know this love, that we can know this free gift, that we can actually rejoice in hope. What if Jesus really meant it when he said, I love you. I am for you. What if Jesus really means that when he says, I, I came to set people free, what if he really means that? Do we believe that? And you know, when, when Jesus began his, his ministry and in a synagogue in, in Nazareth. It's a, it's a small little hamlet village, his hometown. Jesus gets up at synagogue and he, he reads from the Isaiah scroll. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was born to set people free. We, we tune our hearts and minds this Christmas season. His, his love for us, what he came to do. His work, what he came to accomplish. His love in this. He was born to set people free. He is the deliverer that the Old Testament was waiting for. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the hope of the nations. 
Now, a good number of years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet in the Old Testament. His name was Haggai. And Haggai had a prophetic ministry. He encouraged the people of God to continue the the rebuilding of the temple because construction had had slowed down. And so that was part of his ministry to, to encourage the people, keep building the temple. Haggai was was focused on what was right in front of him. Hey, this physical temple. We need to build this house right there in Jerusalem. But then Haggai, while he's focused on the physical, he then points to a future day. He says the the desired of, of nations will come and God will fill this house with glory. Now, some interpret uh, the desire of of nations as treasure and wealth. Others interpret this as Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus is the desire of of nations. However you interpret it, we're looking forward. Haggai, writing in a a time of difficulty, he is looking forward. And he says, hey, there's going to be a new order of things. There is going to be great glory coming our way. And then he ends with a message of of peace. Long story short, the future is good. You have permission to build the temple now, Haggai, but keep looking forward. Church, you have permission to focus on today, but keep your eyes forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now back to Charles Wesley. As I was saying, uh, he was observing the brokenness in his mid-1700s world. And, and Charles Wesley, he was considering the words of Haggai. And he's, he's looking at the brokenness and the poverty and, and, and all the orphans. And, and it's like, and for Charles, his, his hope was in Jesus. He's like, you know, yeah, the the desire of of nations, the the joy of every longing heart. It's not going to be it's not going to be the church that fixes all of this. It's not going to be the government that fixes all of this is it's Jesus. It is going to be Jesus. He is the hope of the earth. And and in the middle of all these stories that that he was hearing and, and brokenness and brokenness and brokenness. Charles kept his eyes on Jesus, and that's where his hope came from. And he was so moved to write a little poem. Charles wrote this. He said, come, thou long-expected Jesus. Right? We need you, Jesus. You're the solution. You're the Messiah. You're the Redeemer, the Savior. We need you. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king. Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom burning. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. So I just want to close now with a few thoughts that we can fix our, ourselves to. 
in light of what we, we talked about this morning. Church, let your hope in Christ keep you pulling you forward, pulling you forward. Keep pressing on. Our our TV at home, it's it's not completely broke, it still works. But you have to press the power button about 10, 15 times, and finally it turns on. I know this thing will turn on, and I keep pressing on. And it's like a, a little message of hope. Every time, you know, we go to turn on the, the TV, you just got to keep pressing on. Keep working for Jesus. Keep keep your eyes on, on Jesus. Build for the kingdom of God. Smile. Buy someone groceries. Give. Love. Keep pressing on. Again, let, let this future hope of Jesus what we have in the future. Let it backfill and affect you today. And we already touched on this earlier, but the second point here is, is you know, know that Jesus won't shortchange you. Christmas is the season uh, where we get to celebrate Jesus' birth. He was born to set us free. We are free in Christ. You can count on that. And his love for us has been poured out into our hearts. He lavishes us in the riches of his grace every single day. I promise you, church, Jesus will not let you down. Do you believe that? And like Haggai, you know, focus on the physical. It's okay to focus on what's in front of you. God has you here for a reason. But as you focus on the local, do so with the hope that there is a future good that God has for you. Your labor today is not in vain. First Corinthians 15. Focus on what's in front of you with the hope that you have in God. And like Charles, like Charles Wesley, when, when you hear these stories from the world, from, from the news, when you hear these, these, these stories and you have emotions, it might be sadness, confusion, anger. The key to understanding these emotions is to see it as an opportunity to more deeply tune your heart to Jesus. You might be right or wrong in your reactions. I don't know. That's, that's you know, context matters. How you react to stories. It might be mixture. But ultimately, at the end of the day, your emotions, what you're going through, what the story is, is an opportunity to seek out what is God saying to you? What is God saying to this world? Use those emotions as little, as little springboards. And finally, we are story-formed people. The stories that we hear, the narratives, and the songs that we sing, they do matter, and they do shape our lives. Much of what we do is shaped by how we perceive things. And how we perceive things depends on, on who we are, our character. And our, and, and, and our character, who we are, is shaped a lot by the stories, by the narratives that, that we hear. You know, Charles Wesley, he was a man of God. He had godly character. He perceived these stories 
And he was so motivated. What, what did he do? Well, he wrote, he wrote songs. He wrote worship songs. But once again, he, he was a leader of evangelical revival. He didn't just say, oh, the world's going to hell. He's like, no, I have hope in Christ. We, we need to preach this gospel. We need to go. Methodism, massive around the globe. Much of what we do is shaped by how we perceive things. How we perceive things depends on our character. And our character is shaped a lot by the stories we hear. What kind of people are we? Are we people of hope? And that's the question. Do we tell stories of hope? And so as we begin Advent this, this Sunday and over the next couple of weeks, God willing, Advent is a story-shaped season that prepares us for Christmas. It prepares us for Jesus. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the reason of the season. We remind ourselves that we have true living hope in this world. That Jesus is our hope in this weary world. Jesus is our hope. Let's pray.